You ever look at what another brand is doing, notice how good their work is, and just kind of hate those marketers? Like, I'm not saying I wish them any actual harm, but maybe have their work start to look a little crappier and have them fade away from existence for all time and their laptops will explode. Y you ever feel that way? Oh, yeah, uh, me neither. Me neither. But, you know, sometimes we might see someone do something really, really great and we wish we knew how to do that. Or maybe we are a little bit jealous. And so we keep asking how. How can they do work that good? Um, why don't we just ask her? This is Three Clips. Hello, I'm Jay Akunzo, and on this show, we try to understand great podcasts a few little pieces at a time. Three Clips is part of Marketing Showrunners, and here at MSR, we cover and advance the growing movement of marketers making shows. We're a media company all about this niche within marketing, making original series, podcasts, and video shows. So check out marketingshowrunners.com and subscribe for free to join some of the most creative marketers in the world who are doing exactly that. In today's episode, rather than deconstruct a single podcast, we're going to talk to somebody who works behind the scenes because as marketers, we have so many things to consider and master to be great showrunners. So in addition to breaking down great shows on this show, How Meta, we also talk to great people who are building tools to help our work or marketers and executives who are making decisions or occupying roles that we need to know about to advance our cause. Today, we talked to Chelsea Davis, who's on the marketing team at REI, makers of outdoor apparel and gear. She arrived at REI from Uber, and she's been owning their entire podcast process from end to end, planning, securing resources, scoping the creative, finding on-air talent, marketing the show, and ensuring success. Chelsea usually works just out of sight. So because she doesn't host the show herself, I thought it was time to give her a microphone and talk about exactly what goes on behind the scenes when you run multiple shows. REI's first podcast was called Take It From Me, which was an eight-part series as a kind of test. It was a test foray into podcasting for the brand, and it was connected to a springtime marketing campaign of the same name. Currently, they have two active shows, one is called Wild Ideas Worth Living. It's an interview format hosted by adventure journalist Shelby Stanger. And Camp Monsters, which is a narrative-style show, which we're going to talk about in detail later. But it's spooky and awesome. They also have a fourth show, which is a limited run, so it's no longer active, although people continue to listen to it. It's called Wildfire. It's a six-part series on the Eagle Creek Fire in Oregon. That was the 2017 fire started by a 15-year-old boy setting off fireworks in the woods, and it burned 50,000 acres of land, lasting three months. By the way, almost seven months after that fire started, even though people declared it as dead, people said you could still see some embers burning in the woods. Anyways, in my conversation with Chelsea, it's a lot more uplifting than that. We talked about juggling all kinds of different shows and how she makes it work. And we discussed a career transition which might sound familiar to you, moving from a more traditional or at least uh, familiar sounding content marketing job into the job of a showrunner. Chelsea had no previous experience in podcasting besides being a fan and a listener. From her biggest concern in understanding her audience to the step-by-step -step internal process that REI goes through to develop their shows, we cover a lot. We even touch on uh, the New Jersey devil. Yeah. So all that and more after the break. Stay with me. 
Today's episode is sponsored by Casted, which is the only marketing platform for B2B podcasters. Casted's platform allows you to upload and host your episodes, distributing it to every podcast app, but they go beyond that simple functionality to do things that help marketers specifically. You can equip your fellow marketing teammates and your sales teammates with content they'll actually use, which previously was bottled up in the show. Casted believes if you're going to build a show, you should own both your content and use it and own your audience. So one of my favorite things they do to help live up to that idea is generate a beautiful landing page for your entire show, which can live on your domain. They also create a searchable index of all your content. So the previously invisible goodness that's inside of your audio files becomes knowable to marketing and sales teammates that might want to use it throughout the buyer's journey. For all that and more, check out the first and only platform for B2B marketers running podcasts. Visit casted.us. I want to talk about your kind of ramp up period into podcasting in a bit, but I'm also curious about, you know, when you think about the outdoor audience, what is something that surprised you about the audience that REI serves or something that people don't maybe understand from the outside looking in? And I guess like a really pithy way to ask this question is like, how is what you do something different than the assumption for outdoor brands, which is basically like nature porn? Yeah, what I, th- <laughs> I think <laughs> that's a great question. I think that most people, and I definitely was in this camp, assume that REI is only for people that are like, I casually ran 50 miles this morning and summited a mountain for fun, right? which is very much like my fear as I came into this um, world, because I am outdoorsy in the sense that I like walk my dogs and occasionally kayak, but it's not anything intense. And so I was very fearful of kind of whether my outdoorsy would be enough. And what I'm learning is that the outdoor industry, while it is definitely for the people that summit mountains and run 50 miles for fun, it's also for people who truly just want to go on a walk around their neighborhood. And that's more the direction the outdoor industry is heading is like being more inclusive. So it's not just super ripped people who, you know, that's untouchable. And I think that's really exciting because it's something that I, I didn't really expect. And I think it's kind of the, the future of the outdoor industry, which is thrilling to me. Yeah. I am outdoorsy in that I like to drink on patios. I think that's yeah, the same Yeah, see, but you're right? outside. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Uh, I've seen that meme before. So let's shift to the podcast world. How does that understanding and that sort of uh, evolution of the outdoor space, outdoor industry and outdoor marketing or you know, REI's target audience seems to be a more diverse group? Like you said, it's more inclusive now and you're trying to make it more so. How does that affect like the different concepts for the podcast that you run and what you will or won't green light? Yeah, I think when I came in to managing the podcast program, my number one thing was we don't need to create another show that only speaks to the core audience of people who, you know, know who all of these outdoor influencers are, because then we're going to just be very navel gazing in the fact that we'll be only speaking to the people that already know our brand. And just to clarify, like that show would be interviews with those influential people or, you know, hardcore people and stories that they can tell, but basically like staying really close to home. Yeah. And I think that those shows do well for, you know, the niche and the core audiences. But if we're trying to reach new people, if you interview Alex Honnold's and Tommy Caldwell's and, you know, the people of the world that you're not going to know unless you're in the industry. Granted, Alex Honnold's not a great example because of free solo, but right. I think a lot of times outdoor brands very much get stuck in the idea of telling stories of people that have been told over and over again. Of course, their stories are inspiring and amazing because they're doing incredible things. 
but that story can only be accessible to so many people. And so when I came into the podcast space for REI, I really wanted to make sure that our shows that we were going to create were shows for podcast people. <laughs> and <laughs> as an avid podcast listener myself, I you know am interested in a wide variety of formats and shows, but it's not specific, only specific to my like interests of hiking or kayaking or whatever the case may be. When you started, it sounded like they were already thinking about podcasts. Had they already launched a few and then you kind of took it over to make it more fully fleshed out? Or I guess what's been the evolution of podcasting as, you know, more than a six episode side project that dies? It just seems like REI is a little bit more dedicated to doing this consistently than, than some brands. So walk me through why is that the case for the brand and what's the evolution been like? I am so grateful for our leadership team here because they believe in content for the sake of content. You know, they don't want to just experiment with content to hopefully capture a new audience and then and then let it die. <laughs> they actually want to tell stories in a really authentic way. And so because of that, they kicked off the podcast program right before I started with a show that was called Take It From Me and then Wild Ideas Worth Living. So those were the two shows that I kind of took on. And then from there, they kind of gave me the reins to say, you know, like, you know, podcasts, what do you think is going to work? What do you want to invest in? Which was an amazing opportunity because of the idea of going beyond our endemic audience and really trying to create things that would speak to people outside of the outdoor industry or, you know, that is outdoor adjacent in some way, like Camp Monsters, but isn't going to be so specific to the audience we've already been speaking to. So they definitely just kind of gave me the reins and said, we believe in you, you're creative, go which was great. So there's, there's a lot to unpack there. I definitely want to get into the show you mentioned because it's amazing and it, it speaks to the ability <laughs> to do something different. The format is different. It creates a lot of tension, which is missing from a lot of shows in any sector. And so I love that show. I want, I want to dive into that. But before we get there, you mentioned that they said, you know, we kind of, we trust you. You get to run all the podcasts. I know you kind of work across the whole swath of duties from planning and development all the way through to measuring the success of the show. I just feel like... I don't know, if you like podcasts and you like working for brands that believe in content marketing, this just feels like a fantasy role. Like, <laughs> how do you, like, when you, when you were approached with this, I mean, were, were you any, were you concerned about anything? You know, what did you think it was going to be like heading in? And then what has it actually been like to do this type of role? Because again, I have traversed this industry. I'm like only focusing on branded shows with an entire organization that I'm building, which is actually another way of saying I need a better hobby. Uh, so maybe I do need to become outdoorsy, but like, I've just spent so much time here and there's a bunch of complaints I keep getting. And one of them is, Hey, I really like making shows, but I have a million other things to do. This is like 10% of my time. And most of the 10% is basically justifying the existence of the show. It, it doesn't seem like that for you. No, it's not like that. At least not currently. I don't want to, you know, get ahead of myself because we're still very much in testing and learning phases. But I think what's just unique and great, as as I mentioned, is REI and our leadership team and the people around me really trust in and value content for the sake of brand affinity and you know building a brand that's already beloved, but just kind of adding new people through interesting ways of getting them there. Right? It's not an ad about a boot. It's just like, oh, you discovered REI through watching a film that we produced or listening to a podcast that we produced. And it's going to start off your affinity for the brand at a very high place. You know, like people are going to love the brand right off the bat. Even if they don't know what REI co-op is, it'll at least be attached to something positive. And I feel like 
we actually have leaders who agree with that sentiment and believe in it. And therefore they're willing to invest in it. And I, yeah, it's a dream job. (laughs) Back to your original question. (laughs) You know, working at Uber was very different in the way that it was very, you know, it's a tech company. So it's very data driven and it had to always connect back to the bottom line in some capacity. And with REI, it's a very brand focused brand because we've built it over 80 years and people love it. And there are so many stories to tell. And so um, our leadership team says, tell those stories and tell them well, just huge. You mentioned the word affinity. Why did you say affinity instead of awareness? That's a great question. And I think those are words that we kind of interchange around here. <laughs> I think awareness is tricky because we don't really know where they're coming from, whether or not they actually weren't aware of us and now are. For us, it's kind of like we say affinity because we we don't know who who this listener is in, in that capacity, like all the way down to were they brand new to us? Because we can obviously define them as new, you know, if they haven't visited our page in however many days or however we're defining new, but to really be like brand aware, we're kind of defining them more as new users or new listeners. And that's hard to do in the podcast space. As you know, analytics is a little bit tough. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We should definitely touch on measurement in a bit. The affinity thing though, it's interesting. I always felt like awareness was a proxy for what we actually want. And there was a certain hubris in chasing the proxy. So just to explain that. If you think about like what we're doing, we're telling stories, we're hoping people spend time with us and invest dollars and then advocate for us and refer us new business. Like there's some real friction to what a marketer wants an audience to do. It's not just like be aware of us. And so the goal of awareness always spoke to this idea that like if we could just make people aware that we're here and we exist or that we have a show, then they will just automatically do the thing we want, which is stick and stay which is love it, mm-hmm. right? It's like affinity is the actual goal. But awareness was mm-hmm. always the proxy for the goal. And I always thought there was a hubris in that of like, wait, so you think that what you do is so good that all you have to do is tell people it exists and they'll love it. Like, it actually takes a lot more effort than that, I think. So I like the idea that affinity is kind of replacing awareness in the zeitgeist because it speaks to the idea that you're not just in the business of grabbing attention, you have to actually hold it. And the only way to hold it is to provide a good experience, right? Well, that's what I love about podcasts because we talk about that a lot is you have a a medium now where you are engaging with people in a way that is not like a three second video view. Most of the time you're holding people's attentions for, for 20, 30, 40 minutes. And that's very rare. And they come back week after week or two times a week or whatever the case may be. And I feel like that's a very unique thing to podcasts because you have this heavily invested audience, which is just exciting. It's just an exciting format because people can do other things while they're listening. I mean, we're always plugged in, which is, you know, (laughs) who knows if that's a good or bad thing, but I love it. Uh, (laughs) Someone producing podcasts. Yeah. It's because we live in the matrix. So (laughs) (laughs) for sure. So my favorite show from REI is Camp Monsters. And I just want to play a clip so that listeners can just sample it really quick. So here's a clip from, from REI's show Camp Monsters. There's nothing out there now except... Except there is something out there in the pines. In certain places you can feel it. At night, shine your flashlight through the trees all around you and watch the shadows jump out of their hiding places. Sometimes the trees cast shadows wider and much darker than they should. Shadows that flicker even when you hold your flashlight perfectly still. The night sounds are few but louder sharper, more distinct. You start to think of the stories people tell about the Jersey Devil, 
you start to get that feeling. <laughs> wow. Okay. So I'm not a huge fan of horror or spooky things, but I, I do love this show. What, what was the origin of Camp Monsters? It's, a, it's about all those like legends and spooky tales and like sightings of creatures that we hear about every so often, right? Yes. All of the monsters that you might encounter while doing outdoor activities. Yes. And it actually was inspired when I started working here. There's a bunch of posters hanging around the office of these monsters because we featured them in a campaign a couple years ago. And the artwork is what we repurposed for the podcast. And it is just incredible. And I, I was very in love with it every time I passed these posters. So when I was coming up with concepts for shows, I'm a big fan of lore and as well as like 1940s radio shows because I'm secretly 87 years old. So that kind of was like, oh, this would be a great way to kind of get into that world in, in a unique way. It really speaks volumes to how you don't need like the apparatus of NPR to do a really well-produced, refreshingly different format. So just can you tell listeners who haven't heard it before, like, what are they going to find if they listen? How is that show constructed? And how, how is it different than, you know, me interviewing somebody who's, I don't know, chasing Sasquatch for a living or something like that? Yeah, I think when we first initially came up with a concept, we were really open to the idea of, you know, doing more historical nonfiction and kind of doing more research and talking to experts. But as we dug into the actual folklore of these monsters, a lot of them were literally based on like one person having an interaction with this creature in the woods. And we knew that there wasn't going to be a lot of historical context. And so we had to kind of take a step back and rethink what we wanted the show to be. And I think we just knew that the strongest way to do this was through finding the right host and making sure that it just really created this whimsical, magical story. Because I think fiction is an is a exciting way to take podcasts that has been done, but I think there's a lot more room to grow in that space. And I think that we just knew that was going to be the strongest format, given what we had with all of these monsters, like some of them, for example, the Jersey devil had a lot more of a historical quote unquote, you know, a lot more folklore behind it. And so we could have done kind of the interview historians, whatnot around that episode, but in creating the eight part series, we just thought a fiction host led kind of 1940s style was just going to work, particularly because we released it around Halloween. So we were like, let's just like, ramp up the spooky and like <laughs> lean into yeah. that. And it really, it, I think it really came together and the format was unique enough where it caught people's attention, including, you know, people on the other side of the world, which was really neat to see reviews from Spain and you know, things like that. Where I was like, okay, sure. <laughs> I love that. We're not, you know, REI is not in Spain, but we'll take it. It's great. Yeah. I mean, the excuse that we don't have the, the budget is often, I think, pointed to post-production. It's like, well, I can't do all this slicing and dicing and narrating and sound design and et cetera, et cetera. And I can't afford the rights to amazing music. It, it, the, the list gets longer and longer every time I talk to some organizations and some marketers. But I think it's about... It's not about, I like to say um, Capital One has it wrong. It's not about what's in your wallet. It's about what's between your ears. And I feel like this is a show that it was about your and your team's strategic planning of what could be an irresistible format. It's fully scripted and read by a host. And look, you got to be a good writer. And I think the research really makes it sing more than anything. I think it's the hidden element is it's well-researched. So the writing can be good. But it's not like I'm listening to this and thinking to myself, and I mean this as a compliment, I'm not thinking, wow, this is so out of reach that nobody else could do a show like this. 
And, and I think that's actually a good thing. I think you found something. Which it's about creativity. It's not about budget. And, and I don't know if any of that resonates with you, but that was kind of my, my takeaway. No, I think that's 100% true. And I think it just goes to show that it really comes down to the content. You can make a show that is well produced as Cat Monsters was, but like you said, it's, you know, one host that's written and read. And so it's not like a huge production team and it's not a lot of fancy footwork, but it, when it comes down to it, the writing is solid and the delivery is solid and that's what makes good content. And it's captivating throughout all eight episodes. So it's not something that people drop off yeah. of, which was great to see. Cause you know, it's not episodic. Like you don't have to listen to episode two, three to finish the story, but to see people coming back and wanting more was a really exciting thing because each story held its own because the writing was so strong. And the story was so strong. What, so what's your role in a show like that where you're not the host? Where are you heavily involved? And where are there other teammates that are behind the scenes and not the host? Yeah. So as I mentioned, it was a creative idea I had. And then it was a matter of finding the right talent because it would not be me. And so from there, I just managed kind of all the production side of things like finding the audio engineer and then editing all of the scripts giving my feedback on all of them. And then I was at each recording session, giving feedback as we recorded. So it's kind of being involved in each step, but on the on the outside a little bit. You're kind of, you're, it seems like that you're almost the producer maybe is too junior even. You're like the executive producer because you're so involved end to end. And But I would say like that's that's the role of a classic producer, right? Yeah, I would definitely say I call myself a producer. I think because podcasts are so new to REI and our team is very much just figuring out what works and what doesn't, I kind of get to manage from start to finish. And that might change as we, you know, see the value and figure out what works for us. But it definitely right now is kind of like you take the concept and you figure out how to make it happen. So I would say producer is probably the the best title to give mm-hmm. myself. What what have you learned doing this? Like what's something you wish you actually knew sooner that would have helped the early attempts or that would just accelerate and you know make it more enjoyable to do this job? I think knowing more of the engineering side and the back end actually like, you know, taking all of the the voice work and putting it over music and whatnot, because when providing feedback to our audio engineer, I felt a little bit like I didn't know what I was talking about. And now I'm taking classes and kind of figuring it out because I really want to be well-rounded in all of the ways when it comes to podcasts, just so I can really speak to that side of things with more authority. Uh, I have no problem giving feedback on scripts and all of that because I was a copywriter in a past life as well. But when it comes down to the sound design, that's something that I would would like to know more of moving into next next year's seasons. Given that you have buy-in, how do you make sure that everybody's clear on what level of authority they have and, you know, essentially you don't end up diluting the concepts? Because on the one hand, getting feedback can be great, can be helpful. But on the other, you can suffer from groupthink or just too many cooks in the kitchen. So how do you balance that? How, like, what's your role? And do you have any systems that you'd recommend other people try? I think the first number one system is being very clear up front about how high this has to go in within the organization for approval. For example, like to your point, if you have six cooks in the kitchen, nothing will ever get done. And so out of the gate, it's only, you know, it needs to go up to this level for approval. And past that, you guys will see the show in its final-ish iteration where you can provide feedback. But from the initial concepting phase, we don't pass it around to everyone within the org because nothing would get done that way. So we have established who needs to sign off on it from the very get-go so we don't get held up in 17 rounds of feedback because to your point, it will dilute any potential that this show could have. Who are the key contributors to give you feedback? 
my manager and the director of our team is the main, are the main people that give me kind of the green light and the go ahead. And I'll do some internal brainstorming with just trusted partners across different teams, like on our marketing integration team or our paid media team, just to get their feedback from how marketable the show is. But that won't really decide yes or no. It's more, I just value their opinion on the matter. But when it comes to the actual approval of, yes, you can do this show, it's to the director level on my team. How do you ensure that people do listen? I feel like even outside the realm of launching shows, us marketers, man, we love our launches. (laughs) Like we love the moment something goes out. And I think, I don't know, maybe that undervalues the raising of anticipation. Like it's better to have a restaurant with a line waiting before you open, then throw the doors open and be like, okay, everybody come running because so often people don't. So how do you make sure that the moment it's like, we're ready to go, that there is a line waiting, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, it's very hard in the podcast space because as you know, it's pretty saturated in the number of shows that are out there. Um, it's just insane to kind of rise above and actually stand out. But I have a marketing background. And so I think that really lends itself like I don't you know, come from the podcast production side of things, I have a marketing background. And so it's just a pretty robust go to market plan that I spend months on uh, building across teams at REI. I always thought that so I've written, I plan to write multiple, I've written one book, and the author friends I've learned from, they are so good at being almost like an actor promoting a movie where they go on like a podcast guest appearance tour. And I can appreciate why a lot of podcast hosts want to talk to those authors because they're like, I did all this research. I created all this awesome stuff for other people for the benefit of you. Sure, it benefits me if you buy it, but like I'm trying to give you something awesome. It's an event. So we're going to talk to this author about this event. And I feel like a podcast host who's launching a new show could very easily act like that. Say, you know, go out to a bunch of either other shows in the outdoor industry or other shows talking about marketing. You know, you're appearing on a show about marketing, but I think we undervalue, you know, essentially what cable does too really well. Like NBC sends its its talent to the late night circuit, to the morning shows to promote a show. And I feel like we don't do that much. We like to just put our links to the show everywhere and call that marketing. But to your point, the way you discover your favorite shows is you hear people talk about it on, on other shows. Yeah. And it's basically you go, you turn to people who have the authority or that you trust within the space. Like if my favorite podcast is going to tell me this is a new show, you need to listen to it. Then it's like, that's authentic. That's a genuine recommendation. Therefore, I'm going to go binge listen to that whole thing. And so I think that that it makes it hard from a marketing perspective, as I mentioned, because it's definitely more of a hustle situation than just a ad buy, but I think it's very important and the best way to get discovered. Are there any surprising things that worked to promote the show that you're running or, or, you know, any of the content around it even? I think one of the things we experimented with this time around was hosting an event, which was an interesting way to get the word out there. We partnered with Rogue Brewing down in Portland because they have a bat squatch beer and it just made sense to have a bat squatch festival. And it was one of those things where we're like, we don't know if this is going to work out at all. But we got such a good turnout at the event. And we were able to then, you know, look at the download numbers in Portland. And it wasn't like a huge swing, but it definitely had an impact, which I thought was neat to see that experiential marketing 
could have an impact on on the number of people look, listening to the show. And then I think we also experimented with doing in-store stuff, putting up flyers and whatnot within our REI stores. Again, it's hard to prove the exact value of it, but we got a lot of social engagement with that, which was neat, like people picking up flyers and tagging us. So I think, as I mentioned many times, we're testing to see what what we think is the most effective beyond just like putting it on our social channels and keeping our fingers crossed. Right. And and I don't think you ever stop testing. I think that's the it's the mentality that's probably serving you well, not necessarily a tactic or two. It's it's this constant discovery process rather than we have the playbook, just just do do what a lot of marketers do and beat it to death. One hundred percent. And I'm that's just not how I market. That's not my that's not my way. <laughs> so I think one other thing is the fact that each monster was specific to a region, experimenting with localized social targeting and seeing how that had a direct impact on engagement rates was pretty fascinating. And it it made sense because if you target Ohio with a Loveland frogman, which is a very coveted monster in their area, who knew? You know, the click-through rates and the engagement rates were just so much higher than our benchmark, which is really neat to see. You know what's interesting about that point is is it speaks to a growing trend. I would say it's very nascent that I've picked up on talking to, honestly, marketers at all sectors, all stages of growth, all company sizes, where the episodes you select, the topics, the guests, the even the format, it serves a dual purpose of serving the audience, but also having a benefit when you go to market. So another example comes from Red Hat, which is a B2B company. They sell to developers. They sell tools for developers. And they decided that to get budget early on, they sold the idea to their powers that be and they got the green light, but then they needed to find the budget. And so they used existing marketing motion, existing campaigns or product marketing. And they said, okay, well, this team is going to dedicate this much budget and that team that much budget. So we're actually going to have discrete topical areas we cover that our audience authentically cares about. But team number one internally is promoting that currently. Team number two is promoting the second episode. So they actually use their episode choices as a way to help marketing. And I don't think we do that much. You know, like another simple example is if you have a monologue that very easily could become a blog post to help promote the rest of the episode. So we're not really baking into the format or the creative unfair advantages for the marketing. It's like we're too station to station. We're too much like we're done planning. Now it's content creation. We're done creating. Now it's promotion. Yep. And you can actually help the, the three phases kind of work with each other. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. I think the other thing that's very unique about REI and is the fact that I'm part of the media side of things. So we have a video team and a journal, like journalism team that does both a digital publication and a magazine. And so as we move forward with the podcast program, it's like, what are the overlapping stories we can tell that lives across that's a multimedia project? And that's just so unique to REI and the fact that we have these teams built where we can kind of do what the LA Times did with Man in the Window, where they have this beautiful digital publication then they also had the podcast episodes embedded into that experience. So I think that there's a, a new frontier when it comes to multimedia approaches to telling this, these stories through both the digital publication and audio and video and how that kind of all comes together. So that's kind of what we're trying to figure out moving forward. Given that you're always kind of surveying the podcast landscape, if you think about the world of brands making shows, what do you hope changes in the next year for your fellow marketers making shows? What would you wish for them? I think a lot of times people just pay other people a lot of money to create shows and then slap their name on it. And I think that that works for some brands, but I think you have to be more involved in what you're creating if you want to have it stand out. I'm not to say that the other brands that partner with the big industries aren't successful, but it just comes off so much more as like 
oh, that's a sponsored show or that is a branded piece of content. Whereas what we're creating is in-house creative. We, we did all of this ourselves. And I think that that just makes us stand out. And I hope that more uh, marketing teams and in-house folks realize that there's a lot to say for that. Chelsea Davis, she's a program manager on the content marketing team at RAI, and she's in charge of their podcasts. She's also a uh, medium-level outdoorsy person. Thank you to Casted, our presenting sponsor. Casted offers tools to help B2B marketers host, publish, market, and measure your podcasts. And actually, this show is hosted on Casted. And, and the feature I've currently played around with that I really like uh, is the feature where you upload an episode and it automatically starts to generate a transcription behind the scenes, which you can use internally. And the cool part is you visit the transcription and highlight the text and it can generate an audio clip for you. So you edit the text, it generates an audio clip for you. It's so slick and it's one of my favorite features of Casted. So you can explore that and a lot more and check out the world's first B2B podcasting platform. Go to casted.us. Three Clips is the official podcast of Marketing Showrunners, which is the media company that I run. We cover and advance the movement of marketers making original series. So to learn more about making, distributing, and growing great shows, subscribe to marketingshowrunners.com for free, and you'll get our monthly newsletter along with marketers from companies like MailChimp, Adobe, Red Bull, Amazon Prime, Salesforce, and more. That's marketingshowrunners.com. I'm Jay Akunzo, and I believe great marketing isn't about who arrives. It's about who stays. And that is why making shows matters so much to build brand affinity. Anyway, thanks for staying with me. We're back this coming Monday with a new episode. See ya.